Good Tuesday afternoon, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and welcome to the I Love Seville show. Thank you kindly for joining us. A pleasure to connect with you guys through the I Love Seville network in our downtown Charlottesville studio. This show presented by Scott Wagner of Scott Wagner Integrated Medicine. Who's got your back? Dr. Wagner and the team at Scott Wagner Integrated Medicine undoubtedly have your back. I encourage you, the viewer and listener, to take a look at the screen now. Check out the headlines we have on screen as we pay homage to PTI, one of my favorite shows. Um, as a teen and college student and into my 20s, I thought Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon just did a fantastic job of bantering and conversating, at times bickering, topics and ideas for the sake of entertainment, education, and enlightenment on, on their talk show. Um, we try to do something similar on this show, look at the screen, but sometimes, and, and why don't I start with this, sometimes I take it too far, and I think yesterday was one of those examples. You know, I, I forget sometimes that the fi- there's a fine line between a passionate conversation and a fiery debate and then pushing people too far. And I think yesterday, I want to start the program with this message. I pushed too far on the show with the director of this talk show, Judah Wickhauer. Um, I want to have passionate debates on the program. But if you're going to have passionate debates, you got to be okay with disagreement and moving on to another topic like PTI and Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon do. Yesterday I got stuck on topics and was not um, agreeable to disagreement. And I was wrong. And I apologize to Judah and I apologize to you, the viewers and listeners. We work really hard for this show. It is time consuming and it's stressful. It's challenging. (laughs) We offer our our opinion on a regular basis on topics that are awkward and and, and topics that are important to the community. So you're going to have some people agree with you and some people 100% vehemently disagreeing with you. And I want to never forget that the essence of what we're doing here is to bring, is to essentially be the water cooler of Charlottesville. And yesterday, I got so caught up with being right, being right, that I forgot about you, the viewer and listener, and most importantly, I did not treat Judah Wickhauer, who's worked at this company for 12 years, um, like he should have been treated on the show. So I admit I was wrong. I apologize again to you. Um, And I will be more mindful of that fine line, Judah, of of passionate debate and perhaps harassment. Or pushing you too hard. Um, I wanted to start with that. So today's show is going to be better than yesterday's show. And that starts with me. Um, some of the topics I want to cover today are a new record of applications for the University of Virginia 
to put this record of applications in perspective, the University of Virginia for the class of 2027 received 55,845 applications. 55,845 applications. If you could do me a solid, Judah, can you find out how many first-year students are at UVA? Currently? Yeah. Total enrollment for UVA, first-year student, like how, much, how many students per class? 55,845 people trying to go to UVA for the class of 2027. That's a 10% increase from last year. That is a record for Thomas Jefferson's university. And I want to highlight this. As the University of Virginia continues to build its brand and its prestige, and it's doing it. And let's consider the ways UVA is doing this. They're doing it through sports. They're doing it through creating new schools. The data science school is a good example. The $300 million um, biotech institute is another example. UVA's brand every year seems to be getting stronger and it seems to have more of a global reach. I think you guys would agree with me on that. UVA, as its brand gets more global attention, the byproduct of that is going to be more interest in students trying to go to school here, more interest in mom and dads sending their children to school here. And the byproduct of that is potentially a stronger economy, potentially more 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-olds as tenants, as spenders at restaurants, as spenders at retail places, as spenders at breweries, using their parents' credit card to inject capital into this economy. But we have to talk about the unfortunate circumstances of, of record-setting applications for UVA. And the unfortunate circumstances are undeniably um, cost of living issues. That's why, that's why I am not convinced that the upzoning is going to create any kind of affordability in this town. UVA is a for-profit entity. UVA's focus is, let's grow our endowment, let's admit more kids to the school, let's take the brand and make it as large and far as possible. So as we admit more students to UVA, where are they going to live and sleep? Are they likely going to go into the upzoning rooftops and bedrooms that are going to be created potentially as early as this year? That's my prediction. That's why when Michael Payne said in the, the last city council meeting that creating additional supply or building our way into affordability is not reality, that's why I agreed with him and I highlighted his quote. I think the additional density that's on the near horizon for Charlottesville, for a 10.2 square mile city, is going to be cannibalized by students 
incrementally admitted into this university. I think that additional supply will be cannibalized by this biotech institute or this data science center that undoubtedly are going to have companies coming here to cherry pick the talent coming out of it. UVA is openly admitting that thousands of jobs are going to come from this biotech institute. That's why I'm not sold that density breeds affordability. Time will tell. Do we have a total for class? Can we go to a two shot? We got comments coming in um, that we'll get to here in a matter of moments. What's the, what's the rough amount um, rough amount per class that you may have that you found online, J-Dubs? Uh, let's see. We've got... Um, I've got admission for class entering fall of 2022. <clears throat> there were 50,926 completed applications, 9,503 offers of admission, and 4,043 first-year students enrolled. Okay, what's the total of enrolled first years? 4,043. And that's the class of 2026? 2022. Oh, 2022. So 4,043. That was the class entering for fall, entering fall of 2022. Okay. I don't know when they graduated. So we basically 4,000 first years. Yeah. 4,000 is the number we can use? That's what it sounds like, yeah. I mean, let's put this in perspective. 55,845 people applied to be a first year. Yeah. And most of them aren't going to make it in. Less than 10% likely accepted. But one thing we could probably say with a record-setting amount of applications for the class of 2027, one thing we could probably say is UVA is going to admit a little bit more people each year. Yeah. I'm not saying it's going to be thousands of people, but it's going to be more people. Yeah. And those more people need places to live. Mm -hmm. And if the density, the upzoning happens around grounds, wouldn't it be safe to say that those additional people are going to want to stay around grounds because that's where they're going to school? Yeah. And it's also, uh, it's also safe to say that uh, those places are going to be going to students. Right. And not to, uh, I mean... If uh, if you're building if you're building around UVA, you're I I find it hard to believe that you would be building for uh, for low income families. Put that in perspective. What you said before the show, because I agreed with you. Uh, let's see. What did I say before the show? Um, I mean, who is paying top dollar in today's market? And top dollar for dirt. Top dollar for everything. For everything. Whether it's dirt or wood or whatever. Cost of goods, labor. Yeah. Who's, who's going into the market and buying up land and spending money to, uh, to, build, to build houses for, for low-income families? I, I just don't see it. It would be great. And there are people out there, like the people at the uh, Thomas Jefferson... Uh, uh, Community Land Trust. Exactly. Who who you know are are looking out for uh, for lower income families and people who really do need those homes, but that's not gonna they're not gonna be buying up all the land. They're not gonna be producing all of the housing that that gets built. And uh, and I think 
most of that is going to be targeted at uh, what we all know is a fairly uh, targeted at UVA students who uh, I think we can reasonably say a lot of you know have the money are wealthy. They come from wealthy families. Back, it's expensive to go to college. Their families. Yeah. Yeah. It's expensive to go to college. Two-thirds of UVA students are in-state. One-third is out-of-state. The one-third of UVA students that are out-of-state, their families can afford over $50,000 a year for their kids to go to college. They're coming from wealth. And I'm going to give you a snapshot of where we are with, with, with economies all over the country and certainly a snapshot of where we are with an economy in central Virginia. Okay? The cost of goods of building things homes, apartments, townhomes, single-family detached houses, has, has never been more expensive. I say that with confidence, conviction, and accuracy. Labor is more expensive than it's ever been right now. Cost of goods and materials is more expensive than it's ever been right now. The dirt that you're buying before you can build stuff, the land, the plots of land, have never been more expensive than they are right now. And if you're someone that's able to buy this land to create housing, your debt service or the amount of overhead that you accumulate right now is the highest it's ever been. So why would you, after purchasing the land, purchasing a house, tearing it down and building added density, does it make common sense that that developer is then going to pursue a tenant that is on the financial margin? Or does it make sense that that developer is going to create a marketing campaign that targets UVA students and their families' wealth and or the employees that are populating the Data Science Center or this new biotech institute? They're going to go after the people that can afford the highest rents because the debt service on what they built is expensive. And the government's not subsidizing them to... Not at all. Not in the least. get these places filled with, uh, with people that might not... This is not basic supply and demand that we learned first year at Ken Elzinga's economics class at the University of Virginia. Ken Elzinga taught us in an introduction class of economics at UVA that when you increase the supply of something, the price generally goes down. In this scenario, as anonymous, the I Love Seville Network's version of Deep Throat explained to us, this is not basic supply and demand. And why it's not basic supply and demand is because the land is so few and far between. And the neighboring county, Albemarle, they limit development to only 5% of all of Albemarle County. So 5% of Almoro County is allocated to residential and commercial development. So when your neighbor says, you can't develop here, it's very restrictive, the little dirt that's springing up or the little dirt that's opportunistic for developers becomes a hot commodity. It becomes coveted. It becomes expensive. This is not basic supply and demand. I've said it once, I'll say it again before I go on to the next topic. The future land use map, upzoning, and this zoning ordinance rewrite, the byproduct of all this pop and circumstance, this dog and pony show, what's the word? Hubaloo? Hullabaloo. The byproduct of all this, you know what it is? 
It's going to be expensive apartments. Yeah. It's going to be 1500 a month bedrooms. 1500 plus a month bedrooms, like the flats on West Main. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to get to some comments here. Um, Vanessa Parkhill, Queen of Earliesville, watching the program. Upzoning will provide more housing, obviously, and that's good and necessary for many people. It will not likely do much to create more affordable options. She agrees with us. 100% agree with the Queen of Earliesville right there. Bill McChesney says, your passion is your trademark, Jerry. Lisa Costello says, Judah does a great job. Jerry, you do a great job. We love seeing and hearing from you both. Yes, you two may see things differently, but that's what makes the show special. Thank you for saying that. Um, Bill McChesney adds, if they do to Grove Road what the Flum shows, Grove Road could be the new fraternity row. And he also adds that Darden Business School is exponentially expanding its hotel. What you said is who they are expanding for. Yeah, I mean, guys, just look at what's happening, like, right now. This is what's happening right now. Data Science School, $125 million donation from friend of the program, Joffrey Woodruff. UVA Hotel Conference and Convention Center on Ivy Road. $300 million Biotech Institute spurred by a friend of the program, Paul Manning's $100 million donation to the University of Virginia, $50 million from the Commonwealth, $150 million from the University of Virginia. You legitimately, with the engine that drives this region, have four major projects that are going to add labor to this market, students to this market, and some high-paying jobs to this market. Conference Convention Center is one. The yeah. hotel's another one the data science school, and this biotech institute. Four major entities. And who was it? It was, um, man, who brought this to our attention? I was talking with somebody about this. I'm drawing a blank who brought this up to me. With jobs, with, with government jobs, oh, please someone remind me who brought this to me. The government jobs to the... Oh, you know who it was? It was the mayor of Fry Springs, hmm. Terry Hinderman. Terry Hinderman owns Fry Springs Station. He owns the real estate, not the restaurant. Yeah. He bought the shopping center on Maury Avenue where Anna's Pizza is. Friend of the program, plays squash with him all the time. Love you, Terry Hinderman. If you're watching right now, you're the mayor of Fry Springs. I love you. Um, he brought this up to me. He previously worked in Northern Virginia in the D.C. area. And he said every time a government entity was setting up shop in the D.C. area, one government job would lead to three private jobs that were on the supply chain of that government entity. Right. And he offered that as a comparison point for what's happening in Charlottesville. He said one biotech institute job at Fontaine Research Park. And remember, UVA predicted that about 1,000 jobs would be created from this biotech institute. He said one biotech institute job at that Fontaine Research Park is going to create three jobs in the private sector, jobs that are associated with the supply chain of the biotech institute. Hmm. It's going to be businesses cherry-picking the talent that comes out of there. I just don't see the density having an impact, like a lot of people are saying. 
I got comments coming in fast and furious. Andre Xavier says it takes courage to apologize. Thank you, Jerry. Absolutely. Andre, I appreciate your uh, direct messages yesterday during yesterday's um, during the show. You offered a, um, a, a voice of reason through those DMs. Appreciate you, Andre Xavier. Um, Anonymous has this comment that just came in. Mm-hmm. He says, wow, 55,000 applications. Makes you think UVA might have some desire to increase enrollment. Certainly would be nice if they didn't have to build dorms to house that increased headcount. Certainly would suit UVA just fine to have zoning gutted, allowing for-profit student housing developers to do the university's work for it. There it is. Yeah. We have been... Great take. I have been saying what he just said right there for... I think at least 18 months. I've been saying it to planning commissioners, to the mayor, to city councilors, to policy experts like Neil Williamson, the president of the Free Enterprise Forum. That right there is exactly right. And he Mm -hmm. says, by the way, the construction cost index has increased 41% since the month before the pandemic. I'm not 41%. Yeah. The construction cost index has increased. If you're a developer, if you're a builder, your labor is more expensive, your materials are more expensive, your cost of goods is more expensive, buying the dirt is more expensive, the red tape is more drowning than ever before, 24% the cost of new construction is paperwork and red tape. Yeah. You have no choice. It's just basic business. No choice but to charge expensive rents. Yeah. Because everything you went through to get the building finished was expensive. You have no choice. Yeah. You know who's the biggest champion of the zoning rewrite and upzoning in the city of Charlottesville? Who's the biggest proponent of this? The biggest DL proponent, the biggest download proponent. Who do you think the biggest download proponent of upzoning in the city of Charlottesville is? UVA. The University of Virginia. The biggest download proponent, the DL proponent of this is UVA. The more somebody else does the work, the less we have to do the work. Exactly. UVA, this basically is what they're saying. Wow, if, if, if upzoning happens, we can let more students into our school, and the city is doing all this stuff, and the private market is going to house these kids for us. Yeah. And we're not going to have to build mm-hmm. dorms. Or on grounds housing forum. He 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 That's what UVA is doing right now. Yeah. And can you blame them? I don't blame them. No. Do you blame them? Not really. No. I mean, I, mean, I you can blame them, uh, but as as long as somebody is doing it, what are you going to do? Stop them? Say no, no. Wait a minute. We want to we want to take responsibility. The for, only for thing all this, this is this, and I don't I don't see this happening. This is what elected, this is what local electeds can do. And Michael Payne kind of put this in the news cycle for a little bit, but it had zero momentum, and he didn't push back on it. Yeah. It's is the payment, payment in lieu of taxes. The only thing that maybe if you can start getting the populace, and I'm talking thousands of people in Central Virginia on board with this mission, it's, hey start ponying up some more money to the jurisdiction because you're the, longest, you're the largest landowner and property owner in, in Charlottesville and Almaro County. Yeah, and as you've mentioned before, every time they take a piece of property off, of the, uh, off the map, 
It takes it off the tax rolls in the tax base. Yeah. So if you wanna if you wanna talk affordability, if you wanna talk affordability in Albemarle and you wanna talk affordability in Charlottesville City, one of the ways you could potentially create affordability is by keeping taxes associated with rooftops and houses in check. So families or individuals or couples that are on fixed incomes, yeah. when they get their real estate assessment come June and December and they realize it's a lot higher, that's a form of gentrification because eventually they're not going to be able to afford it because they don't have a job that can drive additional revenue. Yeah. So if you want to create affordability in the area, you get UVA to open up the checkbook and to pony up more revenue for all the property they own in Charlottesville City and Almoro County. And that revenue that goes to the jurisdiction, that's incremental or new revenue. And with that incremental or new revenue, you can potentially substitute that new revenue from UVA by offering additional tax breaks for folks on fixed incomes. Yeah. And that is how you create some affordability. Yeah. To say that additional housing is not going to be cannibalized by students and these, these businesses that are going to open up to cherry pick talent from the data science school and the biotech institute, to say that that housing is not going to be cannibalized by these types of businesses is just not being in touch with reality. And I've, 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 I've had this message for you, the viewer and listener, for almost 18 months. Yeah. Almost 18 months. 55,000 plus people trying to become a first year at the University of Virginia for the class of 2027. 55,845. That's astronomical. Let's go to the next topic. Yesterday on the show, the wheels started falling off a little bit for me, I think, as a host with this Meriwether Lewis renaming committee topic. And then they really fell off once I started getting into the Dr. Rashal Brackney. I was so committed and convinced and, and focused on being right and proving my point that I was not reading body language like Judah's where I went back and watched the show and I don't watch shows but yesterday once I eventually got composed I said let me figure my wife encouraged me to watch it my wife did went back and watched and I was so convinced Judah I, I was so focused on being correct that I wasn't reading your body language of uncomfortability and, and your eagerness to move on to the next topic. So again, I want to apologize about that. And I want, for the sake of the viewer and I listener... I appreciate that. Yes, sir. For the sake of the viewer and listener, I'd like to take the deep dive into the Meriwether Lewis topic again. We got an email um, from a father... Mm -hmm. You read the email. I read the email. He yeah. gave us permission to read the email verbatim. You saw it in, the, uh, in what he sent to us. The father is Corey Branded Lindsay. And he's a father, and he wanted to provide some community service mm -hmm. by volunteering his time on the Meriwether Lewis um, Evaluation Committee. I think he may have had a... A present, a guess, a presentiment that uh, it kind of sounded to me like he wanted to make sure when in in the process of uh, joining the committee, he wanted to make sure that everything was on the up and up. Hundred percent. And I had and I I want to add a little background <coughs> that I didn't add yesterday. I spent um, maybe fifteen or twenty minutes talking on the phone with him. Nice. And then we got 
what, maybe a thousand word email? Very detailed email from him um, yesterday morning. And this gentleman, he, I believe, is in the National Guard. He's a man that prioritizes freedom and rights, mm-hmm. as we all should. And Corey Brandon Lindsay sent us um, basically the flip book of what happened with the evaluation committee at Meriwether Lewis. And to offer some background, James Watson talked about this yesterday. Um, he talked about the homogenous nature of Meriwether Lewis. There's no question that Meriwether Lewis is homogenous. The elementary school is in Ivy. It's right down the road from Borset and Farmington. Yeah. It is, by all accounts, statistically and test score performing, the elementary school that a lot of parents want their children to go to that's public. Hmm. You have small classes. You have active parents, and you have an elementary school from a test score standpoint that's performing extremely well. So Corey Brandon Lindsay, who I believe is in the National Guard, I believe it's National Guard, offer some perspective if if you know if he's in the National Guard or not, if you could please. He joins the committee under the impression that it's in a name evaluation committee. The email, he quickly realized that this was not a name evaluation committee. Yeah. That he had been tricked like the parents that volunteered their time for this. Yeah. And instead of a name evaluation committee, that's what he was told it was called when he joined the committee. He found soon that it was a name change committee, a rebranding committee. This is rebranding. Well... I don't even know if you would call it that because I don't think the committee had anything to do with changing the name. It sounded like they'd already made the decision, and this was all just a, a dog and pony show. The to, pop and uh, circumstance. Yeah. And you described it well. When I was re-listening to the show, um, you called it the arrogance. Yeah. The arrogance of AC, Albemarle County Public Schools and leadership. Yeah. I mean, it's like you're, you create a committee asking for asking for input and the outcome by the outcome you can obviously tell that they already had the uh they already had the answer they wanted and when they didn't get that from the committee they again i I can't think of a better word but arrogant they had the arrogance to what show them a a uh what would you call the video uh a one hour brainwashing video i mean i that's my words here i let me give uh, an exact description of what it is yeah. When the committee of parents did not vote like the superintendent wanted them to vote, he then instructed the leader of the committee to show them a one-hour video on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then once that video was watched by the parents, then the people on the committee were instructed that the vote amongst the committee would no longer be a public vote. Yeah. Instead, it was going to be a silent vote with votes written on a piece of paper that no one else in the room could hear from. Yeah, uh, that's just absurd. Furthermore, the original committee leader was replaced in the bottom of the ninth inning by a lieutenant in Dr. Matthew Haas's hmm. superintendent cabinet. 
So in the bottom of the ninth inning, when Albemarle County Public Schools were not getting the results they wanted, this is what they did with the Meriwether Lewis Evaluation Committee. Yeah. They went in, and first off, they removed the committee leader and replaced it with an employee of ACPS. They made all the parents in the committee feel a sense of guilt, or, or I guess guilt's the right word, that they handled this wrong. Yeah, well, I mean, the fact that they would... The fact that they would uh, play a video, I mean, it's treating them like children. Like, you are wrong-thinking individuals. Please watch this video so you can understand how wrong you are in your thinking. Right. It's just, uh, it's arrogant, and I would find it disgusting, and I can't even believe that there was a single parent that stuck around for the video. Um, Corey, Brandon, Lindsay did. Yeah, but we know why he did. He wanted to carry through the entire process so that he could, uh, you know, so that he knew what was actually going on. The whole- but I, I think a lot of the parents, I, I don't know what their thinking was. If I was, if I had kids waiting for me at home and, uh, and somebody had the gall to do that to me, I would be... You'd, be, my, you'd be irritated. I'd be out of my seat and... Uh, you, I know you would have left. You would have left. Yeah. You would have left. You and I are very, I say often on the show, you and I are very different people, and I think that's why the team works. We're very opposite people in just about everything we do, and when you put our skill sets together, you got a pretty, you got an undeniable force. I, I'm confident that what would have happened with you is you would have voiced frustration saying, this is ridiculous, yeah. I'm not going to stand for this, and you would have left. Me, on the other hand, and I think the viewers and listeners saw a glimpse of this yesterday, I would have stayed, but I would have been incredibly impassioned, if not infuriated, and yeah. I would have made sure everyone in that room understood what my feelings were. And I probably, like Corey, Brandon, Lindsay, would have stayed till the bitter end because I would have felt compelled to fight for what was right. Yeah. And from my standpoint, what is right? Whether you believe the name should be changed or not, that's mm-hmm. not the point of this discussion. The yeah, point I of I don't even care that the, that they wanted to change the name. Just he legitimately says this in the bottom of the email. He goes, "In the end, it's not about the name. Hell, make it Ivy Elementary School." What what this is about? Corey Brandon Lindsay says is the manipulation, the misinformation, and the lack of transparency. Our superintendent from our superintendent and staff. Where's the accountability? He yeah. says, a government of the people, by the people, until it's not convenient, then you manipulate the hell out of them. That's what happened. Then he says, so if this is how they handle little business, how's the public being manipulated and deceived in the big stuff? It's a great question. Yeah. That is what this is all about. We're being manipulated, smoke and mirrored, with surveys and evaluation committees. And then in the bottom of the ninth inning, the school system is replacing the committee leader with someone that's a staff member, is replacing the very public vote where you raise your hand and say, I vote this way, with silent votes and writing a name on a piece of paper that then cannot be heard by others. How do we even know how the vote played out? Yeah. How do we know the tallies of the vote actually played out that way? Well... When the first vote, when the first vote is known and they don't like, and you don't like the the outcome, what's the, what's the obvious thing to do? Just it's change the game. I mean, I don't even know why they allowed a second vote. 
This is this if is they're... almost synonymous with saying. Now I'm really choosing my words carefully. This is almost reminds me of um, in the last presidential election, where one party said the whole vote was rigged. If you're messing with voting, what else are you messing with? Yeah. Moms and dads should be really worried about that. Really, really, really worried about that. And did you read the article in the Daily Progress about the bathrooms at Almoral High School? The yeah. superintendent called them gang bathrooms. Exact words, gang bathrooms. I was surprised he used that term gang bathroom. I was a bit surprised too. Uh I'm not sure that's the preferred nomenclature for a bathroom at a high school. For the bathrooms that we've all been using for decades? Yeah, gang bathrooms. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just a sad state of affairs that uh, that's what they've become. They're changing the bathrooms this summer, at least some of them. And the bathrooms are going to go to single-person bathrooms, yeah. gender-neutral bathrooms. I think they said first floor first and then second floor. Yeah. Yeah. So the bathrooms are going to be restructured, remodeled, whatever the word you want to utilize here. And the bathrooms on the first floor to begin with are going to be gender neutral, single person, single stall bathrooms. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. I mean, it sounds like that's uh, going, going on all, all across the United States. That's true. They're changing out the bathrooms like that. That's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. Um, I want to thank uh, Corey, Brandon, Lindsay. And I want to thank, and someone tell Corey, Brandon, Lindsay what I'm saying right now. Someone tag Corey, Brandon, Lindsay. Someone text Corey, Brandon, Lindsay. Someone call him, email him. Corey, Brandon, Lindsay, I, I thank you for your email. I thank you for being a part of the evaluation committee at Meriwether Lewis. I thank you for your commitment to keeping our, our country safe. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I thank you for having the courage, sir, of exposing what I think is at best manipulation yeah. and at worst, and I'm curious if your take on this, at worst corruption. At best, we saw manipulation where we saw someone at the beginning of the committee leading the committee and telling committee members that it was a name evaluation committee. Then that person who led the committee was replaced in the bottom of the ninth inning with a yes person that was going to say yes and do what the school board and the superintendent wanted. And then that evaluation committee went from considering the name and whether it should stay to changing it altogether. Yeah. Then the voting structure went from a public vote where everyone on the committee knew who was voting for what to a private vote where you vote your answer, you wrote your answer down on a piece of paper, and no one knew what the actual results of the vote. And sandwiched in between all those changes was a one-hour brainwashing video to make the committee members feel guilty for saying, yes, Meriwether Lewis, and no name change. Yeah. That's, that's the- messed up. I think uh, you don't. You don't think corruption's the right word. In order to go with corruption, I think you'd have to be able to uh, produce evidence that say they have motive. A fr- no, that say a friend of 
someone like I'm, I'm not going to name uh, the superintendent or anyone else because I'm just you know making up a for instance. But if you if you found evidence that a friend of someone on the superintendent on the board was uh, was the head of a, the sign company that's creating all the new signs for the for these schools and. And okay. Okay, I get what you. If yeah. it's not manipulation, what do you call it? No, I sure it is. It is manipulation. Okay. What is it? Is it but worse than manipulation? Uh. This is about it. This is this strikes me as extremely sketchy, dude. You change how you vote. You change the leader of the committee. You change the name of the committee. You you make folks watch a a a, a video, make them feel guilty. This seems worse than manipulation to me. Certainly, people got used. Yeah. Certainly, people were 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 deployed like political pawns. People had their time wasted. Certainly, people were tricked, lied to. Yeah. That falls under the category of manipulation. This feels like a lot significantly uh, more severe than mani- manipulation to me. Yeah, it was more than just manipulation. And and, and and the concern is is there's a track record not just associated with Meriwether Lewis. This same stuff happen at other schools with other evaluation committees. Right. So the track record makes it even worse. Yeah. It's not an isolated event. We have a serial, serial manipulation happening here. Yeah. What else is being, what else is being handled this way? Seriously. What else is being handled this way? More news from Chief Brackney. By now, you may know, maybe you don't know, that Dr. Rashal Brackney's um, federal lawsuit has been completely dismissed by Judge Norman K. Moon. Brackney basically said she was fired because she was a black woman. That was in the late summer of 2021. Mm-hmm. Judge Moon completely dismissed the case. Brackney named a lot of influential people in this lawsuit. Mike Wells, friend of the program of the Police Benevolent Association, was named. Former city manager Chip Boyles was named. Former Charlottesville City Communications Director Brian Wheeler was named. Interim Police Chief Tito Durrett was named. Lloyd Snook was named. A lot of people were named. Yeah. The Bellamy Brown of the Police Civilian Review Board, friend of the program, was named. Mm -hmm. The lawsuit was dismissed by a judge. The judge dismissed the lawsuit, basically saying there's no merit here. Yesterday, Brackney's attorney, Charles Tucker, from the Johnny Cochran Law Firm, issued a statement. And the essence of the statement was, we've just begun to fight Charlottesville, Virginia. We've just begun to fight. Brackney and her counsel said, Charlottesville's atmosphere of entitlement or its institutions of cultural supremacy um, are motivators for dismissing this lawsuit. Yeah. That they're not surprised. This was my f- most favorite statement, my most favorite line from the attorney's statement yesterday, from Brackney, Brackney's attorney's statement yesterday. You ready for this? Yeah. Our advice to the defendants, the defendants are Charlottesville City here. Our advice to the defendants, 
don't go whistling Dixie yet because we have only just begun to battle. That's a threat. Yeah. That is a threat. Yeah. Will you interpret that as a threat? Yeah, he's basically saying we're not giving this up and we're going to keep uh, trying to get the money that we want from you. Bragney tweeted that line yesterday on Twitter. It's on her Twitter account. Hmm. She literally, of, of all that was mentioned in the law, in the statement, I'm going to go and read it directly. Of everything that was mentioned in the statement from her attorney, the one line she retweets yesterday is, quote, our advice to the defendants, don't go whistling Dixie yet because we have only just begun to battle, end quote. That's what she tweeted from the statement 16 hours ago. Man. That's a threat. Yeah. I'll say it. I'll ask this question again. And maybe we can take a deep dive on this. Did Brackney cause more harm than good in her time in Charlottesville, Virginia? I'm still going with the same answer I had yesterday. So I, you say you say no I say, comment. I say more than likely, but I would need more information to uh, to make an uh, an assertive yes of that. I'm going to say Brackney's calls more harm than good. Why I'm going to say Brackney's calls more harm than good in Charlottesville, Virginia was the police officers that quit mm-hmm. this lawsuit yeah. that a judge basically is identified as frivol- frivolous. Yeah. A lawsuit the city didn't even respond to. Right. She had the issue, issues with the Police Benevolent Association. She had the issues with the Police Civilian Review Board. Yeah. She had the issues with her boss, the city manager. She had the issues with the city councilors, at least some of them. She had the issues with the church and the preacher. She was applying for a job in Dallas, Texas, while on the job at Charlottesville City. Mm -hmm. I say she caused more harm than good. She was on the job for a short minute, for a short period of time, a little bit longer than Al Thomas. Yeah. I say she caused more harm than good. And I'll also add something from yesterday's show. If nothing materializes from this lawsuit, and I know her attorney is saying we've just begun to fight, yeah. but if nothing ends up materializing at all from this lawsuit, Brackney is doing a lot of women a disservice here because women do get fired wrongfully for being female or for being um, a person of color. That does happen. That does happen. And it's wrong and it should never happen. But if Brackney essentially cries wolf and that's what she's doing now if nothing materializes out of this, Brackney essentially is crying wolf if nothing materializes. That will make at least one, maybe more, think twice, think a third time about bringing a lawsuit against an employer. She's powerful. She's a PhD. She's a police chief. She's being interviewed for jobs in Dallas, Texas, and Minneapolis, major markets. 
She's a professor. She's a lecturer. She's a published author. She has name recognition and notoriety that is national. For someone of that prestige and resume and credentials to cry wolf and to have nothing materialize out of those cries, that is going to make folks think twice. Because here's another byproduct of what's happening. Who's going to hire this person again? What odds would you give? And I know you don't have a crystal ball, and I don't have a DeLorean to go into the future, and we certainly don't have a flux capacitor, and I don't see Dr. Emmett Brown anywhere around here. But what are the odds that you would give that Brackney would get hired again for a police chief position? Slim to none. Slim to none, right? So here's what someone who's considering about bringing a lawsuit against their employer for being fired for being uh, a person of color and a woman. They're going to say, wow, a powerful woman did this. Nothing materialized from it. And now she can't get work anywhere. Should I do it? Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should just keep my head down and look for another job. Hmm. We talked about this. This reminds me of... um, This reminds me of the conversation we had about... Maybe this was with my friend, um, another friend of mine. And I asked the question, um, how do we get to the point where this kind of manipulation happens with the Meriwether Lewis thing? And you know what his response to me was? He said, because no one steps up and says anything about it. Hmm. They just kind of keep their head down because they're fearful of the fallout and the ramifications. I'm ready for it to go away. I'm going to ask you this question. From a strictly business decision standpoint, should Charlottesville City had should Charlottesville and this is what I said in the beginning of this lawsuit. Should Charlottesville City should they have just given Brackney a couple million dollars and made her sign a non-disclosure agreement where she could never bring up Charlottesville again? Oh, man. I mean, that shows a willingness to uh... negotiate with terrorists and hostages. Yeah. Hostage would, she, would she have settled for $2 million? Or would the re- she have... The reason I brought that up is because I don't think she's going to... I don't think she or her attorney are going to go away. And is the Doesn't opportunity like cost of Brackney and these tweets and these statements and this lawsuit, the opportunity cost is a negative image on the Charlottesville brand. Is that two million bucks, whatever the dollar amount is, was that the play to keep negative imaging on the Charlottesville brand to continue in the news cycle? Or are we legitimately, if we do that Charlottesville, if Charlottesville City had done that, strictly as a PR and strategy play, is that set a precedent 
I was for future employers or future employees to utilize similar strategies. I was going to say that's to the, shake down Charlottesville City for money. That's the flip side of your assertion that uh, that she may be uh, she may be causing problems for people down the road for women down the road in similar situations who may decide not to uh, not to press charges when they have a when they have an actual um, an actual grievance meritable case yes a meritable case uh, well this is the flip side of that what if Seville just decides to uh, tip over and uh, give in and make her an offer whatever it is whether it's 10 million or 2 million does that then send the opposite message that uh that people that whether or not they have a uh an actual claim i mean we are one of the most if not the most litigious society you're talking in general not charlottesville city i'm talking yeah i'm talking about the united states do we need more do we need more people thinking hey i can get a quick payout if I just uh, press my claim and don't give up and uh, threaten, you know, threaten with videos and, and secrets. I mean, it's like the McDonald's lady who sues the Golden Arches because the coffee was hot and it spilled on her lap when she was getting the coffee from the drive through window. And then she sues McDonald's because the coffee was served to her too hot. I've heard there's actually, that was actually a, a reasonable claim. That um, the coffee was too hot? The coffee was scalding, and she actually needed surgery to, uh, to repair the damage that was done. Oh, I, let's not get into the weeds on that. That's, that's, just, that's a distractible comment uh, yeah. statement that I don't want to get into the weeds with. I want to stick with Brackney here. Mm-hmm. Um, Neil Williamson, Free Enterprise Forum, asked this question. From a branding standpoint, does the lawsuit help Brackney future employment, Brackney's future employment in her search for the golden parachute? He's basically saying this lawsuit keeps Brackney in the news cycle and, and on the top of people's minds. Does this help her land another job? I think it works against her, Neil. I love the king of content. Why I think it works it against, her? To work against her? Who would hire someone that has a reputation of suing their boss? And looking for a way out before they've, like when they've just started the job. I mean, right. she was applying for... Uh, the Dallas job, what, within the first year? Of yeah. being on the job? Yeah. It's, That's the, not a good look. The two of those things put together is an even worse look. Looking for a way out, and then when you get it, you're uh, litigious. Eh. Right. I, it seem, I, I think Neil would, ha- would have to explain his comment a little, a little better so that uh, I could understand how, how this is supposed to uh, help her. Vanessa Parkhill says, Charlottesville City did the right thing with the lawsuit by ignoring it. Appreciate that comment there, Vanessa Parkhill. This is the question. When does the lawsuit, if it continues with these statements, like the attorney is threatening Charlottesville. Tucker, the attorney, is threatening Charlottesville. This guy, this attorney. He's saying Charles Tucker of the Johnny Cochran law firm. Our advice to the defendants. That's Charlottesville City, the defendants. Don't go whistling Dixie yet because we have only just begun to battle. That is a threat. 
it's, I wouldn't say it's an actionable threat. How is that not an actionable threat? Because we have only just begun to battle you. He's basically saying we're going to. That's see a you, threat. We're going to see you back in court. But how but about how about when Bradney made those comments? You're going to take them to court is not a, really a. It's not a threat that you would be afraid of. How about Bradney on Twitter saying, <laughs> "I'm going to release the videos right. if you don't give me my bag of money." That's a threat. That's a, almost a blackmail threat. Yeah. I'm going to release the videos and the content I have that show the police officers doing bad things unless you give me my money. Yeah. That's a threat. You give me that? Yeah, I, I would call it uh, extortion. But, I, uh, extortion, blackmail? Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting that a former police chief is extorting her former employer. And she was a police chief. Yeah. Find it on. This topic we didn't get to yesterday. Two other topics, um, three topics left on today's show. We're going to talk about the, the historically black church across from Dairy Market that's now used as a wedding venue. We're going to talk, I will talk on a one shot about Marcus Hagen's going to Penn State um, to take a coaching job with uh, the Nitty Lions football team, no longer here at UVA. Marcus Hagen's, Biscuit Hagen's, Mr. Wahoo. And we will also talk Elizabeth Cromwell, a surprising resignation from Elizabeth Cromwell as the CEO of the Chamber of Commerce. Now the Chamber of Commerce is having a national search to hire a new CEO Hmm. of the Chamber of Commerce here in town. Those topics. Um, The Cromwell topic and the Marcus Hagens topic I will do by myself because I have a little more insight on those than J-Dubs does. But the dairy market historically black church topic, you have some insight on. I'll set the stage. Here's the stage. Dairy market. The old Monticello Dairy Building. Chris Henry, Stony Point Development, Paul Manning a part of this. They take a Monticello Dairy, the Monticello mm-hmm. Dairy Building, and turn it into a food hall. The food hall, we were there on Saturday. My wife and my two boys. We had some beers from Star Hill at Sonic Hayes's. We got a pepperoni pizza from Dino and Dino's Pizza. We Mm. ate it at Star Hill. And my oldest son was well-behaved, so he earned, by being well-behaved, a scoop of vanilla ice cream with some delicious gummy bears from Moo Through. Vanilla? He likes vanilla. He doesn't like chocolate. He eats about half of it, then daddy gets the dad tax and gets the rest. The dad tax is the only tax I like, is the daddy tax. Daddy tax was in full effect on Saturday. Um, dairy market is in the, the business of what? What's dairy market in the business of? Selling space. Making money. Yeah. They're in the business of making money. What makes a lot of money in this town? Uh, Weddings. Yeah. Dairy market bought a church across from the location. And they're marketing a package that includes hosting your wedding at this church and then walking directly across the street to its event venue. I think it's called the Brick Cellar, which is on the mm-hmm. lower le- level of Dairy Market. And then after you have your, your event, your dinner, your party at this event venue in Dairy Market on the lower level, the Brick Cellar, then you go party 
Once the event's done, once the dinner's done, once the cutting of the cake is done, once dancing is done, late night is done upstairs at the bars at Dairy Market. You got South and Central, you got Milk the Milkman's Man. Bar, you got Star Hill. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. You walk across the street. Some in the community, um, Jordy Yeager is leading this charge. Jordy Yeager's a white male, he's leading this charge. He's calling out Dairy Market for having weddings and this historically black church across the street from it. Where, where else would you have, I mean, you know. He's posting photos who thought? of guests at the church. The photos that were posted of the guests at this church were white people at a wedding. And then he utilizes that narrative to describe in Sunday's Daily Progress gentrification. Or how would you describe what he was trying to say? I mean, it sounds like he's accusing gentrification, but uh, it just doesn't make any sense. What, why, why, is, why is... I'll stop. Do you think that's gentrification? I think it's definitely not gentrification. I think it's definitely not gentrification either. Why do you not think it's gentrification? Because the number of hoops that you'd have to jump through to, uh, to, suit, to suit this guy's fancy is just insane. So it, yeah, it was formerly a, a black church. For a long period of time. And, long period of time. And then they upgraded because they needed more room. Yeah, they grew out of the space. And then somebody decided to sell the place. At, at that point, what are you going to do? You can't say, well, we're only going to we're only going to allow black people to buy it. I mean, for a, you could be you could have it still be on the market 10 years later if if you're if you're setting the conditions for being able to purchase the the church at at such a slim uh you know, caveated purchase. Yeah, like, okay, we get it. You want it to continue to be a black church, but nobody is stepping forward to buy it. Uh, Dairy Market bought it with the uh, the previous owners. I'm guessing uh, blessing. Yeah, blessing. They sold it to them. <laughs> then not only did they keep it rather than tear it down, they fixed it up so it's still the same historical building that it's always been. And now they're using it. I mean, heaven forbid you should use a church as a place to hold weddings. Right? And what do you want to do? You want to tell them that they can only allow black people to have weddings there? I mean, that's racist. I don't understand what Jaeger is pushing. I don't either. What does he want? Does he want to say that the that dairy market shouldn't have been sold the church? I mean, take it up with the people that sold it. Someone owned the church and put it on the market for sale. And someone else bought it. And someone else bought it. And then they improved the church physically. And then they allow anyone in the world to have their wedding there as long as they pay what is an incredibly reasonable fee. Certainly compared to the other venues locally. Even Even if it wasn't a reasonable fee, I don't... It wouldn't matter. Like, I, you, what can you possibly say about this that makes sense in... Uh, Is this virtue signaling? Is this the definition of virtue signaling? I don't know if it's quite the definition, but it's certainly uh, 
uh, there's certainly some virtue signaling in there, I think. Because why would he care? I mean, I, I kind of get it, but you can't... What are you going to, like, force someone else to buy the church? I, it just... Would it, would it have been worse if someone bought the church and then completely knocked it down and then turned it into a, 15, a $20, $20 per drink cocktail bar? Yeah, I think that would have been Would it have been worse, worse if UVA bought the church, knocked it down... And turned it into the uh, count your money school, the the the, the crypto school, yeah. the crypto school at Monticello Dairy, where you learn about crypto and Bitcoin. I'm pretty sure that's worse. Yeah. Would it have been worse if someone bought the church, knocked it down, and built a McMansion? Yeah, I mean, I really don't see any situation that works for what this guy thinks was should have happened. If anything, Chris Henry and Paul Manning and Stony Point are continuing the legacy of the church by keeping it a church that talks about the history of the church and probably save the church in the in the bargain. No doubt about it. Save the church. Save the church. Yeah. What are we missing here? I don't know. I, maybe somebody could uh, elucidate us. I provide some enlightenment because I, I, I don't know. I'm Mr. Not sure. Yeager, what are we missing here? What are we missing here? I don't think it was a good look, sir, for you and the Daily Progress on Sunday. All right, two topics, and then I get to um, comments. Elizabeth Cromwell has resigned. Are we back on a one-shot? Let's go on a one-shot. Elizabeth Cromwell has resigned as CEO of the Chamber of Commerce. She will step down in February. Elizabeth Cromwell is an awesome person. Huge fan of Elizabeth Cromwell. She's a friend of the show. Elizabeth Cromwell plans to relocate to Massachusetts later this year to assist with a project that has become increasingly significant to her as it gets closer to fruition, and that project is the construction and opening of the Island Autism Center to include farmland and residences in Massachusetts, West Tisbury. So she's leaving to help um, lead a construction of, of an autism center in Massachusetts. Um, more news from this, Andrea Copeland, who's been a longtime um, team member at the Chamber of Commerce, she's going to be the interim leader for now as the Chamber of Commerce does a nas- national search for this CEO position. Copeland is a graduate of Leadership Charlottesville, the Virginia Association of Chamber of Commerce Executives Management Program, and the Center for Nonprofit Excellence. She's, she's a, a rock star. Andrea Copeland is an absolute rock star. Um, Elizabeth Cromwell will be missed. Thought she did a hell of a job as the CEO of the Chamber of Commerce. I love seeing her around town. I thought she was a fantastic champion of local business. Remember, Elizabeth Cromwell took the job as CEO of the Chamber of Commerce during the Nakia Walker era and tenure on council, where it was walk on eggshells in this city for a long period of time. And Cromwell had the courage and the confidence and conviction to speak up during the Nakia Walker tenure in term and say the volatility we're experiencing from government 
is not good for the business ecosystem, and she did that many times, and I respect her for doing it, because it's hard to be courageous like that. I wish Elizabeth Cromwell the best in her move in February to Massachusetts, and I wish the Chamber of Commerce a lot of luck in hiring for this position. I think this is a position that will um, attract very qualified candidates. The last topic is Marcus Hagens is headed to Penn State, where he is going to be a, a coach and a recruiting coordinator. The loss of Marcus Hagens to Penn State from UVA should not be underestimated. Marcus Hagens bleeds orange and blue. Bleeds orange and blue. And he was retained from Bracco Mendenhall staff to Tony Elliott's staff. Heck, Marcus Hagens was retained from... Um, Mike, from uh, Mike London's staff to his staff. He's been retained by a lot of coaches here. The loss of Marcus Higgins is a big deal. He recruits Virginia. He was the wide receivers coach, and our wide receivers over a long time have performed very, very well. It's a big deal. Tony Elliott has another thing working against him now. All right, let's get to some comments here. Lisa Costello says, Judah, you do a great job. Jerry, you do a great job. We love seeing, seeing and hearing from you both. Yes, you two may see things differently, but that's what makes this show great. She was also very worried about us, and she said she went to bed thinking about me and you and came here this morning or this afternoon to make sure you guys were still here today and talking to each other. Juan Sarmiento says, thank you for apologizing, uh, Jerry, and um, kudos to Judah for not... Um, for handling it extremely well yesterday as well. Thank you. Um, a lot of comments here. I got a 145 conference call, unfortunately. Um, I'll close with this. And it's something that I need to learn. Being right and being correct is not the end-all, be-all. Agreeing to disagree is the path I need to pursue more often when I'm feeling, um, when I'm in a conversation or a debate. And I will do that moving forward. I promise you guys. I want to thank you guys for joining us on the Tuesday edition of the show. We'll be back here tomorrow, Wednesday, to talk topics that are genuine, authentic, real, maybe awkward, but applicable to this community. For Judah Wickhauer, my name is Jerry Miller, and this is the I Love Seville Show. So long. <laughs>